Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. Make It Plain. M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Plain. Get woke. Happy 2021, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Plain in the new year. On this very important today, the day of the Georgia runoffs. And just this past weekend, uh, on behalf of the Black Church Political Action Committee, under the leadership of Pastor Michael McBride, um, I've been helping and doing a lot of work to help get the vote out in Georgia for this all-important runoff today. As a matter of fact, if you haven't had a chance to contact one of your loved ones in Georgia to tell them to get out to vote today, it's not too late. Please do so. But... Over the weekend, one of the things I did was organize a panel discussion at the request of the Black Church Pack, hosted by the inimitable Joy Reid, the host of The Readout. Joy, of course, is the first African-American woman to host a primetime cable news program. And the title of the panel discussion was, Is the GOP Waging War Against the Black Church in the Georgia Runoffs? with an esteemed group of panelists, uh, including Dr. and an all-Georgia panelists and preachers, including the Reverend Dr. Cynthia Hale, founder and senior pastor of the Ray of Hope Christian Church in Decatur, Georgia, uh, the Reverend Timothy McDonald, founder of African-American Ministers Leadership Council, former executive pastor at Ebenezer, where Raphael Warnock is senior pastor now, uh, also, Dr. Nichelle Guidry, the Dean of Chapel at Spelman and the Bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Georgia, the 6th Episcopal District, Bishop Reginald Thomas Jackson. They had a very lively discussion. And while Joy is hosting, per se, or leading the panel, I thought it still would be meaningful for our podcast audience to hear this very important discussion. So 
take a listen and enjoy. And let's all hope we win both those seats in Georgia today. Thank you all for being here. I, I don't know about y'all, but that musical selection has me feeling like it's Sunday. Uh, you know, one of the things we definitely miss about this era is not being able to be in church and hear that kind of beautiful music. So that was wonderful. That I feel blessed by that. So thank you for that. And I'm going to just jump right in. I'm not going to waste a second of everyone's precious time here. I want to jump right in um, and go right to uh, Pastor McDonald, Reverend McDonald. Because what we've seen in the last eight hours or so, um, or the last 24 hours or so, is I, I feel like these are unprecedented attacks that we've seen on um, on, a, on a on a pastor of a black church. Um, we know that there are two races in Georgia: the John Ossoff race against David Perdue, who's the sitting senator, and the Kelly Leffler race, where she is the appointed senator running. To try to be elected for the first time uh, in the state of Georgia, and she's running against the Reverend Raphael Warnock. Um, and you know, Pastor McDonald, you you have been um, assistant pastor of Historic Ebenezer Baptist Church, and we know that just in January, Senator Leffler asked to speak and be on the pulpit, which we know all y'all y'all are pastors. You know, it's not easy to get on the pulpit. It's a big ask to ask to get on the pulpit at a black church because normally it's like, do you attend this church? And are you, have you been here more than once? But she was allowed to speak in January. Um, she said she was honored to be at the church. But since then, we have seen her mount a full-on attack, not just on Reverend Warnock, but on his faith, on Black Lives Matter, on the um, you know the, the 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 biblical underpinnings of the black church, which are about liberation theology, and now within the last eight hours, she has essentially accused him, sort of in a QAnon fashion, basically of sexual aggression involving children, of sort of QAnon related attacks. It's really gone off the rails. I just want to get your response to the latest attacks by Senator Leffler on Reverend Warnock. Well, thank you so much, Joy. Uh, the hypocrisy of campaigning is just unbelievable. And that is what we're witnessing now. Uh, we said it uh, months ago, the attacks upon Reverend Warnock were not just an attack upon him personally, but this attack against the Black church, uh, against Black worship, against Black preaching, which by his very nature is prophetic. Uh, anybody who adheres to any ideas, the ideologies of QAnon, needs to have their head uh, examined. And so we, the, the Black clergy, particularly throughout the state of Georgia, have sought to be in solidarity with the theology and the preaching and the practice of Reverend Warnock and the Black church. Uh, and so we, we know the casualties of, of campaigning. It's the truth. And they feel that if they can say it consistently enough and loud enough, that their narrative becomes the dominant narrative. We have a responsibility uh, from the black church to make sure that we defend the black church, the preaching of the black church, the worship of the black church and not allow, and we have been too silent to be perfectly honest with you, Joy, not allow anybody else to attack uh, one of our pastors who is merely mirroring uh, what the Black church is about, what Black worship is about, what Black preaching is about. It's prophetic preaching. It's not radical socialism uh, that's being perpetuated out there. It's just a Black pastor preaching the gospel from a prophetic uh, perspective, from a perspective of those who have been oppressed. 
and not the perspective of those who are the oppressor. So we stand in solidarity with Reverend Warnock, with his theology, with his preaching. And the preachers have to speak to those sayings of Leffler and the white evangelicals who are supporting her in her attacks against Reverend Warnock. Well, and, and for that, I would like to bring uh, Reverend Dr. Guidry into this because, see, right, this is where we sort of get into sort of a historical narrative that becomes present. Because we know that in the days uh, when Dr. King was preaching, you know, his letter from a Birmingham jail was in many ways directed at the white church and the silence of churches in the face of the oppression of Black people. Um, and so we're seeing this sort of come full circle that we haven't heard a lot of defense. Uh, you know, as was mentioned in a little clip, you saw the little clip when, uh, um, you know, when, when, when Mark, Reverend Mark Thompson was on the show and we talked, you know, about the fact that when Amy Coney Barrett was being placed on the Supreme Court, when her nomination was, was up, you know, those of us who were in media and also those of uh, uh, people who were in the Democratic Party, anyone who opposed her nomination was told, you can't touch her theology or her belief system. Even though for a lot of women, a lot of people believe that her theology, you know, is not exactly expressive of women's liberation. But that was not to be discussed. That was off the table. That was not to be discussed. But what we're seeing now is silence largely from white churches um, on these attacks on Black liberation theology, on Reverend Warnock's very customary theology for the Black church. What do you make of the fact that there hasn't been a grand defense it feels sort of almost like we're back in the Kingian era. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, Joy, I thank you for having me on this conversation. I when I think about this question of white silence and white complicity, um, I think to Reverend Warnock's mentor, Dr. James Cone, who in one of his quintessential texts, The Spirituals and the Blues, he writes that you can't understand the black church outside of the Black lived experience. To take the Black church out of the everyday life of Black folks is to kind of do what the GOP has been doing relentlessly. It's to soundbite our faith, right? It's to take it out of the context of meaning. And when Reverend Warnock describes his faith as being foundational to who he is, it's because so many of us um, come to understand ourselves, not just as Black people, not just as citizens, but as humans, as humans made in the Imago Dei from our Black churches that give us language for resistance and, and language for righteousness. And so there is a certain sense in which we, we don't hear from white folks because they don't empathize with our lived experience. They don't sympathize with our lived experience. I mean, I think we we hear so many, it's been said in so many ways, you know, they love our culture, but to walk a day in our shoes, uh, I don't know that they could. And in and, and our Black church experience and the expression of our faith as being intrinsically tied to what it feels like to walk in Black skin every day. If you can't empathize with that, you don't understand the fullness and the breadth and the substance of our faith and our, and our faith practices. You know, and uh, to bring you in, Dr. Hale, you know, the other candidate uh, in these Georgia races, John Ossoff, was mentored by John Lewis, who, of course, is you know, one of the legends of Atlanta and of the movement, along with Dr. King, who was his mentor. And so you do have Atlanta being sort of this historical crucible for the struggle, for the struggle for freedom. And that has largely involved the Black church, right? And we know that Black churches were bombed 
because they were deeply involved in voter registration. Um, we know that the outgoing Senator Doug Jones of Alabama, what he is famous for is having prosecuted those who bombed the 16th Street Baptist Church. That church wasn't bombed because of anti, you know, religion. It was bombed because of anti-voting. You know, people believe that that church was too involved in allowing Black people to speak up, to register, to vote, et cetera. And that's why that church was attacked. And so I wonder what you make of the fact that the Black church is still being attacked, maybe not with bombs, but really with just, you know, attacks on the idea of liberation theology itself. And that is being made to seem dangerous, including by Senator Leffler. Thank you so much, um, Ms. Reed, for this opportunity. I have to say that um, we are being bombed, yes, um, with words and other actions because of who we are. The Black church is about liberation. The Black church is about freeing people from oppression. The Black church, as Reverend McDonald said earlier, is prophetic. And because of what we do, we seek to change the lives of persons. And so, you know, if Lafayette and others would get busy taking care of the needs of people, not just proclaiming to be one nation under God with liberty and justice for all, but seriously involved in the activities that make that happen, then they would be applauding us and with us <laughs> and campaigning in a totally different way. How do you not? Well, let me say this first. Um, this is historical. This has always been the case in my experience and in other ways. Historically, white evangelicals have focused on personal piety, whereas the black church has focused on social justice. And so uh, even Billy Graham was concerned about folks going to heaven, but he wasn't concerned enough <laughs> to protect the rights of African-Americans and other people of color. And so that's the tension that we're experiencing. It's come down through the ages, and here we are faced with it again. And I agree with my colleagues. We've got to fight it with everything that we are, and the best way we fight it is to keep on doing what we do. You know, and to bring you in, Bishop uh, Jackson, I recently interviewed um, Reverend William Lamar, who, of course, is of the great Metropolitan AME Church in D.C., which was defaced um, by members yeah. of the Proud Boys who mm -hmm. proudly proclaimed that they ripped down the Black Lives Matter signs that were posted outside of that church. You had um, Senator Leffler declare Black Lives Matter to be communist, which, of course, will ring true for anyone who knows the history of Dr. King. Civil rights activism was called communist. This is very familiar, this line of attack. But what do you make of the fact that this is back, that calling um, both liberation theology and even Black Lives Matter, the movement to try to end police uh, killing uh, without accountability of Black people, calling that communist? and ripping signs, the property of black churches off of the body of the church, physically ripping them down. And by the way, for those who are unfamiliar with Metropolitan, this is where Frederick Douglass was funeralized and where the great, uh, one of my idols, Gwen Eiffel was funeralized. This is, a, this is a grand and historic church. What do you make of that? Thank you so much. And good to be with you, Joy. The fact of the matter is this is not new, it is continuous. And I think, again, the black church needs to be 
factual and speak truth to power. Number one, I have no problem telling those who call themselves evangelical Christians, I don't have any problem with them calling themselves evangelical. My problem is when they call themselves Christian. Because the fact of the matter is theologically and biblically, they're absolutely off course. Their criticism of the black church and the black preacher is because we in the biblical model are prophetic. Uh, I think many of those who call themselves evangelical Christians are like those in the scriptures who were the professional prophets, whose job it was to tell the king not what he needed to hear, but what he wanted to hear. And they're doing a good job of that. Our job in the black church is to be prophetic and to speak truth. And so therefore, I think to the Kelly Lawfulers of the world, number one, it says they don't understand scripture to call Raphael Warnock, radical liberal, and they criticize him for saying you can't serve God in the military. My goodness, what would you say about Jesus? Jesus said, unless you hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, <laughs> you can't be my disciple. I don't know what she would say about him. And then as it comes to Martin Luther King, we need to be clear. Martin Luther King did not become a hero to a lot of them until he was dead and could no longer speak for himself. And finally, let me say, Ms. Loeffler continues to demonstrate her own racism. When uh, John Lewis passed, Georgia has a statue in Statuary Hall of Alexander Stevens, who was the vice president of the Confederacy. The Georgia delegation submitted a letter that his statue would be removed and replaced with that of John Lewis. The one person from the Georgia delegation who didn't sign the letter is Kelly Loeffler. Wow. Um, Reverend McDonald, to come back to you, because if um, Senator Loeffler is elected, I can't say reelected because she was appointed the first time, but if she is, if she wins this race on the 5th, it is likely that she will be and her staff will be contacting Black churches again. Um, as most of these, you know, many of these Republican elected officials do, um, and that she and that, you know, others like Senator Mitch McConnell and others who've stood in the way of expanding health care, expanding aid to the struggling, um, stood by while Donald Trump attacked immigrants, um, attacked the poor, attacked health care, tried to take health care away from 20 million Americans, all of these things rooted in the biblical tenets that we are to love the immigrant, care for the poor, care for the aged. These are things we all learned growing up in church. What do you think that pastors should say to a the staff of a Senator Leffler or of a Mitch McConnell uh, or of a Lindsey Graham who are then coming back and saying, we would like to speak on King Day? I mean, we know that the church is meant to be open to all and to welcome all in. But, you know, as somebody who was an assistant pastor at Ebenezer, what should okay. these churches say to them? We, we have to be true to the gospel and true to our faith and true to the calling that we're called. I tell them, no, <laughs> you, you will not get to espouse those kinds of untruth, false doctrines from this pulpit. And I think it's time for Black pastors and Black churches to, to realize and affirm that we're not beholding to them, to these elected officials. We don't work for them, they work for us. And we got to call back and claim back our power. Uh, sure, our, our, our voting is grounded in our faith too, but our faith is a liberating faith. Our faith is an inclusive faith. Our faith talks about the kingdom of God 
that allows everybody to sit around the table. Their faith is exclusive. Their faith is dominant. Their faith, or if you could call it a faith, is nowhere near consistent with what we believe, interpret, and preach the gospel to be. So we got to be careful, very careful. You started out saying this, Ms. Joy, about who we allow in our pulpits. You know, leftless predecessor, uh, Senator Anderson, God bless him, love him. He would sit through that whole program. That's the King Celebration program that Leffler attended. He would sit through, the only person who would sit through the entire program for five hours and then turn right around and vote against everything that Dr. King stood for and everything that Dr. King gave his life for. That kind of hypocrisy can no longer be tolerated. And the only reason that Leffler can get away with that, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States is the Southern Baptists. The largest lobbying group in the state of Georgia are the Southern Baptists who gave us slavery, who supported lynchings, who at least through their silence, Jim Crowism, segregation, all of these ills of our society were able to exist because of the silence of these same right-wing evangelicals. We gotta make sure, you know, Politicians talk to politicians, doctors talk to doctors, lawyers talk to lawyers. When these right-wing evangelicals speak, the black church has to speak, and we have to call them for who they are. Jesus had no problem using the word hypocrites, and we got to let them know that those false doctrines that they're advocating, putting in commercials, that they are not consistent with the gospel, and if pastors have to speak to pastors, clergy have to speak to clergy. And that's what the black church is doing now. And we're beginning to see the results. We've had over 3 million people in Georgia now as by the Secretary of State who have already voted. Black church, community, civil rights, labor, we're coming together now. We're saying enough is enough. Do not allow that kind of hypocrisy to reach your pulpits, to come from the pulpit. We got to say no. And then there's a acceptable word in the Bible, an expletive that you can put in front of that if you want to, but no. And, you know, <laughs> Dr. Reverend Dr. Hale, you know, you, you've been on the Democratic National Committee uh, platform. And, you know, the challenge, of course, with churches being involved in, you know, voting is politics in its most basic form. Right. It is partisan politics. It's just the way that we achieve temporal power. Um, and the church has always, you know, ridden that line, the black church and even white evangelical churches, because they are very much lined up with Donald Trump and openly lined up with Donald Trump. So it isn't just black churches. The white church is very political. It is lined up 100 percent or at least 80 percent for the polls with Donald Trump, who is very questionable that he's, you know, has been to church. But we don't know. We don't we can't say I can follow him. He had in the church. There's a church in him. That's yeah. That's a good question. That's that's probably the right question. But when it comes to the Democrats, they do espouse. You know, the parties have flipped places now. The Democrats, who used to be the old Dixiecrats, they were the old Southern racist party, have now emerged into the party of that created Barack that allowed Barack Obama to become president of the United States. And so most African Americans embrace the Democratic Party and its platforms. Sitting in those platform rooms, though, as a woman of faith, as somebody who was an evan, you know, an evangelist for both civil rights and for the, you know, the word of God, what should Democrats be doing, and how should they be fighting? Because at the end of the day, 
We're still seeing $600 being placed into the hands of people who are struggling and $2,000 being denied. Healthcare is still being denied. Um, we still have the basics of, of, of just being able to live being denied to the American people. Are Democrats fighting hard enough for those kind of things? And if not, what should they be saying? And what do you say to them behind those closed doors? When we say we have to speak truth to power, we mean all powers. And that includes Republicans and Democrats. Because no, Democrats are not fighting hard enough. No, Democrats are not speaking up and doing what they need to do or we need to do. I'll include myself. But it certainly is going to take a concerted effort of all of us, not just Biden and Harris, but all of us have to work together, speaking one language. One of the reasons why the uh, attack on the church is so prevalent today is because the Democrats have not stood up for the church or the faith the way that we should. We call ourselves interfaith, and I can appreciate that. But most of our faiths all agree that people should be treated with dignity and equality. And so we've got to speak up, but we've also got to, if we get are in power, we must be willing to take the hard stand and to fight for our democracy, fight for health care, fight against mass incarceration, fight for the liberation of women, fight for the care of immigrants. We've got to fight. We've got to spend less time fighting the other side and seeking ways to bring us together so that we can truly do what is best for this country. What I've noticed is through the years, you know, whoever's in party spends all of their time fighting the other. Well, we're not fighting for the people and that's what's got to happen. And so, yes, when I um, have the opportunity and when any of us, because I know my colleagues, we not only speak truth to power <laughs> to Republicans, but also to Democrats. We got to call the truth the truth yeah. and a lie a lie. Enough of all of this. Let's start working on behalf of people and their needs. You know, and Reverend Dr. Gidry, you know, part of what the Black church has been known for throughout the ages is fighting uh, for unpopular causes, whether uh, that is the end ending slavery, which, you know, was an unpopular cause, abolition, uh, but the Black church has always stood for that. Uh, fighting for civil rights when, you know, and taking those church bombings as a result because it was unpopular. Dr. King was unpopular. But I think about that uh, in what uh, we heard um, Reverend Dr. Hale say, you know, when Jeremiah Wright was attacked during um, the Obama first campaign in 2008, there was sort of a deafening silence in defense of him. And what he was preaching was liberation theology. You know, this is a man who served his country, um, who aided in treating uh, Lyndon Johnson. I mean, this is a guy uh, medically, you know, this was a guy who'd done everything that you would think would be the right thing, came to lead a, a, a major church, and he was sort of pushed to the side. Um, and now what you're seeing with Reverend Warnock, some of the stands that he's taken, for instance, unpopular stands like standing up for the rights of Palestinians, something I, I you know, I, I also care about and, and that people don't talk about, you know, and standing up for those kinds of unpopular causes. He's also taking hits from Republicans for that. Um, what do you think is the responsibility of the black church collectively to surround those who speak for unpopular causes, even when that might hurt them politically? Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think our responsibility is to stand in solidarity. Um, I think part of what is most hurtful when, um, let me back up, Joy, and say this, that as all of my colleagues have said, there is a prophetic iteration of the Black church that has been involved in the liberation of, of our communities. Um, you know, since the era of enslavement, Reverend Warnock himself wrote a book called The Divided Mind of the Black Church, where he goes in depth describing this chasm of the prophetic and the pious Black church, right? And anytime you are situated in this prophetic lineage, you sort of understand by virtue of your predecessors, those who come before, who have come before you, who have come before us, that there is an inherent risk in prophetic ministry. There is an inherent risk to um, your reputation and even sometimes to your safety, right? And in many ways, you sign up for that. This is the cost, right? Even Jesus knew when he entered into his ministry that this was going to be a costly enterprise. This was going to be a costly endeavor on his part. And so what ends up happening is you get, what you don't sign up for though is the scandalization of our ministry. No one signs up to be scandalized. No one signs up to have someone enter into their sanctuary and soundbite a sermon and replay it over and over again thereby decimating an entire legacy with 30 seconds of decontextualized sermons. And so what we have to do in that moment is express publicly our alignment, our support, our solidarity. And I remember when that happened to, to, to our luminary, Dr. Jeremiah A. Wright Jr., that conversation um, that, that erupted in the country was a scandal on one hand, but on the other, it it, it took the black liberation theology um, that many of us embody, um, and it made it made it a, a national conversation. And there was there was a turning of 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 um, apolitical apathetic clergy to uh, to the side of liberation. And that was a powerful outcome because many of us decided this is the moment that we can't be silent. This is the moment that we have to have this conversation publicly and we have to go to bat for our luminary. You know, and to that very point, Bishop Jackson, um, we saw what happened inside um, uh, inside the Charleston, uh, another historic Charleston church, Mother Emanuel Church, when a racist, um, domestic terrorist, unleashed uh, firepower upon uh, the congregation there, including uh, murdering uh, Reverend Clemente Pinckney um, and others. We've now seen physical violence against AME, the AME church um, that we mentioned, Metropolitan in DC. How concerned are you that this sort of theology that's grown up around the current president um, which has really sort of taken on a life of its own and a violent, in many ways, life of its own, physically threatens um, Black church and Black churchgoers. We know that there are two critical dates coming up, January 6th, when we will see the certification finally of the election, uh, and January 20th, the inauguration. How concerned should churches be about their physical safety? Churches should be very concerned. In fact, you mentioned uh, Metropolitan. But right here in Georgia, we have a church, Bethel in Gainesville, Georgia, which is represented by uh, Doug Collins, where a 16-year-old white girl went twice to the church 
to do what Dylan Roof did at Mother Emanuel. And she said very clearly, she idolized Dylan Roof. And what happened at Bethel Gainesville, Mother Emanuel, uh, Metropolitan, I think every black church across this country needs to understand that we are easy and we're sitting targets. And so we have to provide security because the environment in which we're in and, and Donald Trump, um, he, he, he is feeding this and he's promoting this. And we have really got to pay attention to the environment in which we live. And so I say to all of my colleagues and to all of our churches, we have got to be on guard. We've got to go back and be watchmen, not only for our churches, but for our people. You know, and uh, Reverend McDonald, the same question to you. You are uh, in Atlanta, um, and it's, you know, Atlanta has become symbolic for a lot of the current president's voters, um, along with other predominantly Black cities like Detroit, um, like Milwaukee, cities where we live, uh, in their mind are the source of fraud. They don't believe that Black votes ought to count, um, ought to be decisive and determinative in elections, and therefore they've isolated and targeted Black cities as in their mind the source of fraud, even though there's zero evidence of that. Um, are you concerned um, in terms of cities like Atlanta, um, where at the same time you've also got a pandemic raging, where you've got now very open gun laws that have been passed, uh, laws that are in the stand your ground variety that allow guns to be taken everywhere, including into bars and churches. How much concern should there be among Black church folk in cities like Atlanta on these key dates like the 6th and the 20th? There should be concern, but not fear. Not fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Dr. King and, and many of the civil rights uh, veterans could not go around fearing. We, we, we are concerned. But I think what we have seen, particularly in Atlanta and in these majority urban black cities, we have seen younger people of color, particularly black, Black Lives Matter has helped the black church. And I think the black church is here to help enforce and to cooperate with and encourage Black Lives Matter. There has never been a successful civil rights movement anywhere in the world without the active engagement of young people, of young people. And what we are witnessing here in Georgia, in fact, I just heard it this morning, 100,000 people voted for this election, this runoff, who did not vote for November the 3rd. 100,000. Those are young people. Those are young people, black and brown and yellow, um, millennials, Black Lives Matter people. And, and when you get the black church, back connected, and this is the civil rights movement history as well, there would have been no civil rights movement had it not been for the active involvement and engagement of young people who fill the jails up. That connection has happened again in, right now. In our history. It's happening in Atlanta. It's happening in Detroit. It's happening in New York. It's happening in Los Angeles. It's happening all over the country. And that's what we're witnessing. That's what they are afraid of they being the powers that be. We are now coming to where we are writing the narrative. He who writes the narrative defines history, whether truthfully or not. We have decided we're gonna write this narrative. We're not gonna let the oppressor write this narrative about where we are at this point in time in our history, 
in our urban city. You're not going to write the narrative about health care. You're not going to write the narrative anymore about mass incarceration. We're no longer going to allow you to write the narrative. So in Atlanta, which is called the Black Mecca, we see this coming together, which is a beautiful thing. And it's contagious. It's very contagious of young people and the Black church and the civil rights and the movements. They are coming together again. And we're seeing it happening now all over the South but also in the North, and that's encouraging. So yeah, there are others who got guns and weapons and threatening to kill, but um, you know, from, I'm from Brunswick, Georgia, where Ahmaud Arbery was, was shot and killed. Just last week, a sister was out putting out signs, a mother with her daughter, and a white male jumped out of his truck, snatched their sign, and told them to get out. The, the, the black woman told her him, I am not my grandmother, meaning she said, I packed everywhere I go. You can act crazy and a fool if you want to. She said, I'm packing right now and I will not allow you to hurt my daughter. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not of that opinion, but believe me, there are some black folk out there now who are not going to take what our ancestors took. I saw black men and sisters in arm at the demonstration. In fact, they went to Kentucky Derby, if you remember, and they were there as well. So though we do not advocate violence, I'm a pastor. I certainly would not advocate violence. I'm glad that there are some brothers and some sisters out there, like the Black Panthers during the Civil Rights Movement, who said, this stops right here. So we're not afraid in Atlanta. I'm not going to walk in fear. I'm going to walk in my faith. Know that the prophetic witness of, my, of the Black church is going to do what needs to be done, and we're going to win. I don't have any doubt in my mind that we're going to win because voting matters. And voting has consequences. And Black people are voting like we have never voted before. And I can see the hand of God. It's just moving, y'all. And, and, and when that prophetic witness gets out there, we're going to send the fear of God into those right-wing evangelicals who are out there trying to, to create some false narrative and false doctrine. So I'm excited. Bishop, he knows about it. Cynthia L., he knows about it. Dr. Feldman, we know about it. There's a movement going on right now, and it's going all across the land. Stand up, black people, brown people, oppressed people. God is moving. I hate to, Somebody had to preach. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> I have seven-day Adventists in my family, so today is their Sunday. Yes, ma'am. Family members out there, hello. Y'all got a word, but we got a word for the Sunday people, too. I, Dr. Dr. Hale was giving you the, 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 the biggest amen, the biggest nod. You know one thing, I have to share this with you. Timothy McDonald and I, when we were younger, 35 years ago, <laughs> we were the young We were doing it then. We were doing it then. <laughs> Dr. Hale, I, I'm going to let you in because you were giving them nodded amen. You're in Decatur. And, you know, people, you know, it's not all Atlanta. It's not all Atlanta. There are a That's lot right. of places in Georgia that are going to be crucial um, that are less, or, you know, they're more urban, rural, more, you know, sort of mixed urban, rural. What are you seeing in terms of the involvement, particularly of younger people? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, Dr. King, as well as John Lewis, they were in their 20s when they were Black Lives yeah. Matter. That's right. That's exactly right. And I'm working with several uh, get out to vote and election protection groups and young people are all over the state. And we have to be very careful about talking about Metro Atlanta or just Atlanta, because like he just said, Glenn County, <laughs> yeah. Macon, 
uh, South Georgia, Albany. Folks are out all over the state. Folks are saying enough is enough. Rockdale County, Newton County. And I believe that it's a, it's a sense in which people have come into their own. I'm sorry that it took the tragedies of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, Rashad Brooks and others. But something just woke up. <laughs> and, and there was a sense in which people said, we ain't going to take this no more. We ain't. <laughs> okay. And got charged and revved up. And this intergenerational um, work that's happening is amazing because earlier on, my young people were saying to me, we can't find our place. We'll find it. <laughs> they found it. <laughs> and we're working together. So there has to be this sense in which, you know, we're not putting older people off the scene. So younger people no, we have to work together. And yeah. it is happening, Joy. Yeah. But it's also happening in terms of city and county or rural and suburban. And so we have to see all of it. Georgia, we are going to win. Do you understand that? <laughs> and let them bring it on because at Stone Mountain, there was a march one day <laughs> of the Proud Boys or some group. And the Black militia met them. And Showed the up. <laughs> they showed up and the police just stood there and looked. <laughs> what did they say? And everybody backed off. So this is not our grandmother's world. This is not even my state anymore, although I'm still a little ratical. <laughs> everybody is saying, let's go. And I want to mention this fact, and that is with the killing of George Floyd, I saw I heard from more of my white colleagues and friends yes, I've yes. ever heard from. So this is not just black church or black folk. Yes. The kingdom of God on earth has manifested itself and people of all races and stripes have decided enough is enough and we're gonna fight together to make this nation what it says it was called to be. And Reverend Dr. Gibby, let's let's talk about that in a in some specifics about what will be the difference if you know if in fact the two Senate seats do go as uh, the the prophetess Dr. Dr. Hale had said is going to happen if they go to the Democrats and you have a Howard University graduate the first Howard University graduate to be in uh, the White House uh, as Vice President of the United States Kamala Harris is casting tie-breaking votes in the United States Senate. Talk about what will be the difference because we are seeing this pandemic, which has killed more than 320,000 people, disproportionately black, brown and indigenous folks um, that is now killing indiscriminately regardless of health outcomes and background, um, younger people, older people, children, college students. It's, it's an indiscriminate killer. And we now have the attempts to roll out a vaccine um, we've even seen the mayor of Atlanta, um, you know, uh, attacked by this virus, her own family. It's just running rampant through Georgia and through the country. What do you think will be the difference if you see a, a Senate in which Vice President Kamala Harris is able to move policy? 
Well, what we hope we see is the return of a moral standard, some, some sort of a moral leadership. We have just come through an era where it seems like there has <laughs> been a complete um, lack of moral leadership. Um, there has been the, the bar for, for basically human decency <laughs> has been at an all-time low, at least an all-time low in this and in, in our lifetimes. Um, it seems like, you know, people have just been disposable over the last four years. Uh, black bodies at the hands of, uh, of the state and certainly, like you just said, many bodies, all bodies, um, as we have, um, as we're living through this pandemic. And it really, there's an opportunity now to be able to just say, what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? And, and, and what is right for, for, what is right for the people? And I think that that's honestly one of the hopes that, that we have in Reverend Warnock's candidacy is it's not just about his rhetoric as, as a trained and, and polished preacher and public proclaimer it's about what he stands for as a man uh, as a man of liberationist faith someone who is rooted and grounded in 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 an experience and a story of coming up from poverty and experiencing um, many of the lived realities that that Leffler and Purdue know nothing of and so we're hoping that we see we see leadership that's rooted in a moral standard we're hoping that we see leadership that's rooted in empathy. We're hoping that we see, um, you know, the, the 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 changing of the tides. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what leaders who follow Him should represent? So that's what we're hoping for. Yes. And Bishop, I'm going to go to you now. We uh, we we are blessed to have you uh, here. We're gonna we're gonna let you um, kind of take us toward the close here because what does that look like in terms of moral leadership from your point of view, because there are so many needs and there's so many priorities that need to be uh, that need to be faced both by the administration on the political side, but also by the church. Um, is the church going to step forward in a more prominent role in your view over the next four years, particularly the black church, in terms of trying to shape the moral sort of culture um, in this country when it comes to everything from pandemic to violence to policing, what role do you see the church having, the black church having? You know, it's interesting, but one of the fortunate things that come out of the last four years of the Trump administration, it has reawakened, it has reignited, and it has given a challenge to the black church. And I'll be frank with you, I am excited because <laughs> I believe the black church is again going to reclaim its legacy as the conscience of the nation. Because right now this nation has no conscience and I believe the black church will in fact speak to it. Um, as Dr. Uh, McDonald was speaking, I was thinking Dr. Marvin McMichael wrote a book some years ago and raised the question, yes. where yeah, have the all prophet. the prophets, prophets gone? gone? Well, I think you're gonna be hearing and seeing prophets rise up. And one of the things I think we have got to do and again, I make no qualm about it that I, I really have an issue with the evangelical saying Christian. Uh, <laughs> two years ago, we had a march in Washington called a call to conscience, had seven or 8,000 people there. Following that rally, we had a meeting with Nancy Pelosi and a reporter came and gave me a copy of a resolution 
signed by 10,000 evangelical pastors. And it said that any preaching or teaching of social justice is an injustice to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is simply heretical. And so I believe in this time, God has put the black church in place to speak to the conscience of the nation. And I tell you, now the black church is going to do what Donald Trump claimed. Now we are going to make America great again because it's not great under Donald Trump. We've got a lot to do. And the black church, black clergy, black lives matter. I think blacks and people of color across this nation are going to redeem this nation and make it what it can be. Well, I just want to thank you all um, for this incredible discussion. Um, Bishop Jackson, thank you so much. Uh, Reverend Dr. Cynthia Hale of Ray of Hope Christian Church in Decatur, Georgia. The Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry uh, of the Wisdom Center at Spelman College in Atlanta. Thank you so much. Uh, Reverend Dr. Timothy McDonald III, who preached for us uh, this afternoon, this morning, on this afternoon, uh, the honor of African-American Ministers Leadership Council, all of you all, thank you all for being here. You all are a fantastic panel. Uh, you guys are such a huge part of this this change that we're seeing. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna just send hellos um, from Bishop William Barber, my good friend and my good my my big brother Reverend Sharpton, who are my 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 personal pastors. I, we do text ministries whenever I need help. So I'm gonna add you all now as my additional pastors. Hopefully I'll also text you all for help. Uh, my friend, Mark Thompson, the Reverend Dr. Mark Thompson. I just made him a doctor. I don't know if he is, but he is. Yeah. He thank you for having me. And Pastor Mike, thank you very much. I'm gonna throw it back to you, Pastor Mike. I believe you will now take the mic again. You all were wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Joy. Thank you. Stop. Thank you. Joy. Celebrate them in the chat, everybody. I hope you all follow each one of these folks on social media. And to Joy Reed, you make us so proud. Lord, I tell you, I think now we watch the news every night. <laughs> we, we watch cable news now because we know somebody's going to tell the truth, right? Um, but we hope, we really, really hope that if you have family in Georgia and you don't live in Georgia, Call your family members over the next 48 hours and make sure they vote. We have so many events happening over the next several days. There's an event happening in Macon, Georgia, events happening in Savannah, Georgia, events happening in Albany, in uh, Metro Atlanta. There's a big Get Out the Vote concert that's going to be virtual happening on Monday night. Uh, there's a concert with Jonathan uh, Nelson happening, with John P. Key happening on the ground at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. So Georgia, we coming to help y'all get out the vote. Big shout out to our partners on the ground. Black Voters Matter, Latasha Novi, you love and rock with her. Woke Vote, New Georgia Project. Um, all of the folks that we're partnering with, we're super excited to be in relationship with you all. So God bless everyone. Have a wonderful Saturday. Um, remember, for hundreds of years, the black church has woken up every day to fight white supremacy. We are not stopping now. Uh, we're Take our soul to the polls and get this victory. So God bless everyone. We'll see you in the field. Take care. God bless. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe. And wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been may play.
what's new in podcasting. Here's what we love, courtesy of Acast Recommends. I love a Lifetime movie. Hey y'all, I'm Naomi McParrigan. And I'm her good friend, Megan Gailey. That's true. And we are the hosts of the brand new podcast, I Love a Lifetime Movie, a weekly pod that is as obsessed with Lifetime movies as you are. Yes, you are. Don't pretend you're not, because you are. Every week, we are going to pick a different Lifetime movie and dissect all the drama, shocking twists, Mm -hmm. oh boy, are there some tears, and the trials and tribulations of women that are just on the verge. Honey, these women are murdering, honey. They're having affairs, honey. And there is a movie called Psycho Granny. Okay, I'm done. Just, just subscribe. Just subscribe. A-Cash recommends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park